There are things you simply shouldn't be doing at work, things that could get you fired, sexual harassment, violence, fraud, and so on. What you can and cannot do at work is generally and clearly understood, but not always, of course. But what happens if an incident occurs outside of work hours or away from the workplace? Paul Cott, principal at Law on Lydiard, says it's not so clear-cut. Even the courts don't seem to agree, as you'll hear shortly. Well, Paul, let's get straight to the chase. Can an employer complain about or make a claim against an employee whose conduct is improper if it's done outside the workplace? Yeah, there certainly is, and it's becoming more common. But the courts do work on the first principle that whatever an employee does outside work, it's their own business. But if um, that conduct has a relationship or a connection to work, then the employer can often have a legitimate reason to complain about it. And of course, in the age of social media, that's what's becoming very common, particularly where employees are airing their workplace grievances, you know, on Facebook, knowing or not knowing that their employer may see them or maybe even deliberately hoping that the employer does see them. That's becoming more common. And people have been have had their employment terminated for things like that. And there's a lot of case law in this area, a hell of a lot, all the way back to the main case, which is still referred to, called Rose and Telstra Corporation in, from 1998. So that's how many cases have been heard. There's, and the matter's gone to the High Court, even recently. So it's a very vexed area because the issue the courts have to grapple with is how far into employees' private lives where it has some sort of connection with work can we extend into? So, you know, employees will have friends at work and then they might then go and have a, um, a bougie night out on the town, not at the workplace, but then they get on social media when they're drunk and make comments about other employees. So even that scenario in itself is probably unclear as to whether the employer has a legitimate interest in that. So, But the basic test about it, though, is what the employee did, even if it was outside hours or not at work at the work premises, did it have some sort of connection to the employment or did it arise because the person was at a work-related function? So there is a case fairly recently, this went to the High Court, called Comcare, and I think it's PVYW or something like that. I think the, the name was anonymised. And the issue was work cover. And could a female employee who was injured in bed by, I think it was a falling lamp, it hit the media, so I, mm. I can see you nodding. So you yeah, I, rem- I remember about. this. <laughs> and some of the courts, I think at full federal court level, they said that that was work-related because she wouldn't have been there other than work because it was a work-related trip paid for by the employer, whereas the High Court then said, no, it's not. So you've got the single instance decision at the Federal Court that said it was, and then the full Federal Court said it wasn't, and then the High Court said it was. So there's so much disagreement about it. It's it's really a case-by-case basis looking at all the circumstances. Well, any examples of conduct that can cause trouble for an employee when done outside the physical workplace? So in reference to the case called Rose and Telstra Corporation, which is still referred to to this day, the employee was on a work-sponsored trip in a motel. After hours in the hotel, got into a fight with someone and made a claim 
And that case is, is now an authority for saying that if the conduct damages the employer's reputation or interests or the conduct is incompatible with the employee's employment contract or if it actually really legitimately damages the employer in some way, then it may be that the employer has grievance to complain. So that, that was an example. It was a fight um, after hours. Then there was another one where an employee sent a pornographic video to 19 fellow employees. None of the fellow employees complained about it, including females. I think one of the females from memory did sort of raise it with the person who, who sent it and said, look, you know, you shouldn't have done it, but I'm not going to complain. The employer found out about it and sacked him. Sacked the person who yep. sent it? Yeah. Right. But then I think the Fair Work Commission said that that was not, the connection to work was not strong enough. So even though it was sent to other employees, it was done outside the workplace after hours. So that connection to the employment was not strong enough to make it a legitimate concern of the um, the employer. Um, and so the unfair dismissal, or the dismissal was harsh and un unjust and unreasonable. Shouldn't have occurred. Right. Okay. Well, is an employee more or less likely to be liable, depending on the context involved, whether that be unfair dismissal or work cover or just simply an allegation of improper conduct? Yeah, well, there is a bit of a difference in approach. So between whether you just complain to the work, in the workplace and they deal with it internally, the Fair Work Commission has a line of cases where it has to be fairly strong, the connection to the employment, whereas if it's a work cover claim and the issue is did the conduct arise out of the employment, then they have a different approach again to the connection required with the work. So it often does depend on the context. Of course, you've also got sexual harassment, which can be the after-hours conduct, and you can make a complaint to Australian Human Rights Equal Opportunity Commission, for example, and we'll get to that a bit, a bit later. And the context or what may happen there is different again because you've got different legislation. So sexual harassment is actually a breach of the Sex Discrimination Act. Um, and so the Australian or the Victorian Equal Opportunity Commission will look at different factors again. So it really does depend on the context and where the complaint's made to. From an employer perspective, Paul, what, what can they have in place prior to these issues arising to, to better deal with such issues when they do arise? Yeah, well, it's quite important. I mean, it's, it's, an, it's a hard issue for a lot of small businesses who may be just a mum or dad family business and um, to have detailed policies and procedures in, in place so that it's clear from the start before the conduct occurs as to what the employer expects. If you've got really detailed policies and procedures in place and some training so that the employee is aware of those policies and procedures and also have something in place so that if an issue does arise at the workplace, the employee knows where to go or what to do about it. And not just have the policies and procedures in place and have, have training, but also monitor them and update them and see whether people are actually abiding by the policies and procedures. There's no point in putting those things in place if nobody takes any notice of them. Mm. What are the, uh, the factors the law takes into account when it considers whether an employee should be liable for conduct done out of hours? So it, it depends on where the conduct occurred. Maybe it depends on the seniority of the employee, who's complained about it, 
what effect it had on onto them. Also, there's been a few cases where when the employer has raised the issue with the employee and the employee has been dishonest about it in the investigation, that's actually been a factor where even though the Fair Work Commission would have said the dismissal was justified, said that because the employee lied about it in the investigation, that means that the dismissal was actually valid. I think that's the case called Streeter. The central factor was that the employee lied to the employer when it was investigated. So that can turn a dismissal into something that, that, that may or may not be warranted, where the employee has been dishonest in the investigation. So not only was is all the factors about the actual conduct and how people were affected and where it was physically and how strong a connection was it was to work comes into it, if the employer has been dishonest in the investigation, that can swing things the other way. Difficult question to answer perhaps, Paul, but what's considered sexual harassment and what are some examples? Well, there's many things and the key thing is that what a reasonable person would regard as offensive. So it doesn't even require an intention on the perpetrator to offend anybody. So even if they're oblivious to anybody else around them, and don't intend anybody to be humiliated or upset or insulted by it, um, that can still be sexual harassment. So, you know, you might think like um, lewd jokes or pornographic pictures on the desktop at work, comments that are made, even friendly banter between males in a workplace that strays over the line into a sexual nature. If somebody else overhears it and is offended by it, then you've got a potential sexual harassment claim there. So there's a huge wide form of conduct, but anything basically of a sexual nature, of any type of communication in any way, shape or form that offends somebody, that falls in the definition of sexual harassment. And it doesn't have to be repeated. It can be just a one-off incident. Right. Well, if sexual harassment does occur, Paul, is it the employer's responsibility if it occurs away from work and whilst not at work? Well, that, that goes back to the very difficult issues that courts have to, and Fair Work Commission and so forth have to grapple with is the connection between the workplace. But sexual harassment certainly can occur outside work or inside work, inside work premises. Obviously now it's uh, all a little bit trickier because a lot of people working from home, perhaps that might actually anecdotally have reduced the incidence because a lot of people are not actually in the workplace physically altogether. But sexual harassment can occur in or outside the workplace. It could consist of, you know, the old sexting to somebody from one home to another between fellow employees where the they're working from home and the other, the female, well, it's usually a female on the other side and a male on the other side, usually, if they get offended by it, then that's still a connection to work, even though they're physically at home. Right, okay. Now, what are the potential consequences for the perpetrator of sexual harassment in the workplace? So it can lead to disciplinary action in the workplace, could lead to termination of employment, could lead to a complaint to the Australian Human Rights Commission and or the Victorian Human Rights Equal Opportunity Commission, which could um, result in compensation or, or a fine being imposed. And then in extreme cases where it's actually a criminal offence, there can be criminal charges laid. Right. And if someone's subject to sexual harassment, uh, what are their options to deal with it? Well, one of the first things I always say, although that's often not practicable, is to say to the person who's done it is, hey, I was offended by that. Did you realise? 
they may not have realised, and then they might say, oh, look, I'm sorry, I'll stop. Sometimes the the person who's offended doesn't feel comfortable, of course, to raise that issue with a perpetrator. So you really need to go to somebody else in the workplace to, for them to deal with it. So your supervisor or your manager or the CEO or case may be, or HR, all those types of things. That's Paul Cott, Principal at Law on Lydiard. You've been listening to Lydiard Law. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whichever app you access your favourite podcasts. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, why not leave a review? It always helps others to find and enjoy the podcast too. For more information about Lydiard Law or any legal issues you'd like to discuss with Paul, go to lawonlydiard.com.au. Paul Cott and I look forward to your company next episode. Until then, I'm Chris Ashmore. Thanks for listening.